episode of Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. So we're here with J.J. Cook, a yogi, baller, hooper, basketball player, originally from North Carolina, North Kakalake. (laughs) J.J. is going to share some of the laid-back qualities of the South and the wisdom of his journey to the mat. It's awesome to have you here, J.J. Great to be here, Tamal. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're going to get right into it. Where are you from and how did you get here? Tell us your story. Let's talk about your childhood and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I've lived in Wilmington, North Carolina for the past 12 years. I just got out here to, to Los Angeles about about three months ago. and um, You're fresh. Fresh. Green. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving L.A. so far. It's great. Before it eats you up. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it doesn't eat me up. <laughs> Everyone should live in LA for a little while, but you got to leave before it makes it too hard. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, you were originally from North Carolina, or did you live somewhere before that? Uh, I grew up in in Winston Salem, um, and I ended up in Wilmington, North Carolina, for college at the University of. North Carolina at Wilmington and stayed there until I came out here. <laughs> so you never left. I can see why. I've been out there a lot and it's just one of those really awesome beach towns where everyone's kind of cool and laid back. Everyone's into staying healthy and athletic and it's hard to leave a place like that. Yeah, it's a great place. It's a home. How did you get into basketball? Um, ever since I was young, my you know, my family put a basketball in my hand. Um, my dad played college basketball. My mom's brothers played basketball. So, um, you know, I sort of was born into a basketball family. It's in your blood. Yeah. You So instead of having like a blankie or a teddy bear, you slept with a basketball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, did your family um, put you in at a super early age or did you just naturally just playing at parks or in the street? Yeah, um, you know, as soon as I could walk, I was, <laughs> I was playing. <laughs> I played in all the rec leagues growing up, uh, middle school basketball, um, and I had to had to make a decision um, in in high school whether to swim or to play basketball. And I just love basket basketball so much. Um, I wanted to to pursue um, basketball. Yeah, it's funny how you said your parents were all into it and your dad played college ball. It's like in their genes, they all of a sudden had children that were like six foot four and gigantic and ready for basketball and ready yeah. to go. <laughs> my, my little big brother, he's bigger than me. Um, he's, he's a great basketball player as well. He, he plays basketball down under in Australia for a professional team in Geraldton. Nice. Which is four hours south of, of Perth. Yeah, so, you gotta go visit that guy. I gotta go visit you that gotta guy. Gotta go visit him out yeah. in Perth. That sounds like an awesome trip. <laughs> um, so once you were playing basketball in high school and you were bouncing around, and you went to college. How did you 
find yourself onto a yoga mat? Um, I was I was training for a semi-professional team in Wilmington, um, and my older sister Christy drugged me to a yoga class one afternoon, and ever since then I never stopped going back to the mat. I fell in love with the practice and all of its benefits, and just continued to practice. Mm. What was your first class like? It was weird. They <laughs> <laughs> okay, burning sage and, and dancing around you. Put a crystal on your belly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are what are these people doing in here? Um, it was awkward and weird, but I felt amazing after class, yeah. and I just kept coming back. Nice. Whose class was your first class? I'm pulling it out of you. <laughs> her her um, name was. Kristen Serino. Yeah. Serino, yeah. And it was the only class I took from her. It was the first, first class from her. It must have been powerful. Class. Made yeah. you stick around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then how long did you practice before you took, of course, teacher trainings and went further and further and further? I have been practicing for about three years before I took your 200-hour training. That was my first yoga training I ever took. I'm glad that it was the first one I took. <laughs> We're doing a shameless plug of my teacher trainings right now, but yeah, um, I didn't. <laughs> that's it's all good. That's where I met. That's where I met you. I, yeah. I, didn't, I don't think I even met you before that. I think no. you had known Kristen, the owner of the yoga center out there, and and she's like, "Oh, I got this guy who's going to do your training." I think you were the only guy in that training, weren't you? Was there yeah, another guy? I was. You're the only guy in that training. Yeah. There hasn't been too many trainings where I haven't been the only guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, it's that ratio even in a yoga class. It's always like 95% female, maybe 5% male in a class, yeah. sometimes less. Yeah. Um, then what made you so inspired to continue teaching? I mean, a lot of people do teacher trainings and they don't necessarily want to teach. There's just for their own personal practice or just to have the experience or, you know, they have so many different reasons. And I want to say less than half usually want to be a yoga teacher mm-hmm. um, just the the benefits that I received from the practice went beyond you know beyond the classroom beyond the the mat and it started to you know permeate my life um, off the mat and I just wanted to continue along that path yeah, so. I mean, it hits everybody at a soulful level eventually. Everyone starts off usually with some kind of physical experience, and then it makes you go, okay, I want to do something more with it, you know? Yeah. You know, always think about it. It's like in yoga in general, they always say that, you know, you're a soul that inhabits the body, and the natural tendency or the nature of the soul is um, anandamaya, which means it's pleasure-seeking or happy-seeking. So we're always looking for happiness, you know, in some way or some form, and you know, when we're out there searching for that happiness and we're looking for the right relationship, we're looking for the right house, the right car, the right place to live in, and all these things start to not taste so good or feel so right, and it just leaves us hanging. I think once you find something like yoga and its philosophy and its lifestyle, you start to find what you were looking for. You start to find that happiness. So Yeah. The soul as it's searching for Ananda Maya, searching for that happiness, you naturally just go, wait, hold on. 
maybe I should stick with this for a while because yeah. it's doing yeah. a trick. Yeah. And it's vast. It just keeps going and going and going. Um, I know when you were teaching out in North Carolina, you took a couple of trips to India. What was that like? Oh, amazing. Life-changing. India's a, a crazy, chaotic, <laughs> beautiful, lovely place. <laughs> <laughs> it really is all those things. Huh? Yeah, it is. It's an adventure out there. I went twice. I've been twice. Yeah. A short uh, trip and a long trip. Short trip, co-led, two retreats. First trip was um, 10 days in Fort Kochi, so the southern coast of India. Um, and we worked with um, Homes of Hope Orphanage in a girls' orphanage that we, um, or that um, the yoga center back home supports um, through their through their public classes. Mm. And then the, the second time I, I was able to get out there, I went for a month and traveled um, across the the whole all of India, the whole continent, the whole continent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that opened my eyes up a lot. I bet it um, did. Yeah, you see things that you never thought you'd ever see. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff yeah. going down all the time. <laughs> yes, it was an adventure. Tell us a little bit about the orphanage and some of your experiences there, and some of the girls that are there. Uh, the girls are just amazing. Um, from what they have have been through in their lives and to still be able to to open up and 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 love and and give and and receive um is especially towards a towards a man mm. you can go into um, detail our listeners are okay with telling us like what some of these people have been through yeah um well a lot of the girls at the orphanage have been sold into um sexual slavery they have mm. been sold to the beggars mafia where the beggars mafia had um, a lot of them have cuts on their faces or like their eyes um, have been gouged so when they go out on the street to beg um, they'll get more money because they are, are injured and mm-hmm. hurt um, so a lot of the girls that, I mean I just can't imagine what some of those girls have been through um, and to be able to connect with them um, and practice yoga with them and study with them and play with them and um, it's just an, an amazing um, experience yeah I think that's amazing because it it teaches you the power of you know forgiveness and the power of healing you know I always think about America and we have such first world problems here yeah and we can't even get over some of our first world problems yeah. it's like ah, I'm ruined for life because yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that parking space <laughs> <laughs> because my latte was too cold or it was too hot or, you know what I mean yeah. And you go to a place like that, and it's just a whole nother world. You're like, yeah. okay, I got no problems. I got nothing to complain about. And yeah. look, these people love and forgive and are able yeah. to connect with a male figure, even though they've been just completely used and abused. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, I always think of those kind of experiences. You're supposed to be there to help them, but in return, you end up getting helped way more yeah. and learning way more from them yeah. than it was supposed to be the other yeah. way around, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Those places, I think, are always uh, super important for everyone to experience so you can open your eyes because we can live in kind of a sugar-coated kind of candy land out here in the West where, you know, everything is just so abundant. You know, you walk into a grocery store and 
there's aisles and aisles and aisles of food and people have the choice they're like oh should i eat organic or not organic should i eat gluten-free or not gluten-free and you go to a place where there's so much poverty and because there's so much poverty they don't have those choices it's like you eat what you can get if you even have any food you drink what you can drink if there is any water you know so when we can have those eye-opening experiences you can settle back into a western culture and be like dude i can't i can't complain about anything you know even if you're living out of your car you would be a wealthy man in a lot of these countries (laughs) (laughs) i had reverse culture shock when i got back the second time (laughs) what is this place (laughs) you're walking around speaking bengali to everybody in north carolina Um, one of my friends he went to India and he was like trying to find like a good restaurant like a healthy restaurant to eat at that wasn't gonna like make him sick deli belly yeah so he's like he's like learned the word pekka which means pure clean he's like he went up to this Indian guy and he's like is that restaurant pekka is it pekka and the guy looked and he goes no no Prabhu that restaurant is a diarrhea palace (laughs) (laughs) diarrhea You don't want to eat there and get the real deli belly. Yeah, no. I got I got the deli. You belly. got the deli yeah. belly when you're there. Yeah. The second, first, first first night trip. when I was there. The second trip, first night. Oh. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, I didn't get it after that. Yeah. So the rest. Of the... You had that buffer. Yeah, it puts yeah. you down on your knees. And when yeah. my dad went to India, <laughs> it was the late 60s and to the early 70s so you think India is bad now whole another level of yeah. bad whole another level of bad and poverty and like dead bodies just everywhere on the ground at train stations and people with leprosy dying all over the place which they probably still see a lot of that there today but yeah I remember my dad was like I was so sick because he lived there he didn't just visit he lived there for over a year as a monk and he's like I had jaundice hepatitis amoebic dysentery my dad was a lot taller than me he was like about six feet tall and uh he's like i weighed 90 pounds 90 pounds at six feet tall he's like and i'm deathly ill trying to get out of india and his spiritual teacher that he was traveling with told him you got to get the hell out of india or you're gonna die yeah (laughs) so he's like the only thing i want you to do is he goes just don't eat any cooked food he's like only drink water and only eat raw fruits he goes, and you'll get healthy, but you got to get out of India. So my dad's like, I'm only eating raw fruits, only going to drink water. He's got all these diseases. And he's sitting at this train station. And he looks, and he's dying of thirst. It's like 110 degrees. And he sees a Fanta, you know, the soda Fanta guys. Mm-hmm. And he sees a guy like 100 yards away. And he knows he's not supposed to drink anything but water. But he's so thirsty. And he hears the guy going, Fanta, Fanta. But mm-hmm. in order to get to the Fanta guy... He's got a whole bunch of dead bodies that are lined up on the train station that he has to jump over in order to get to the Fanta guy. So he's like, screw it. And he starts running and he's sick as a dog. He's jumping over these dead bodies and tripping on him. And he finally gets to the Fanta guy, drinks the soda and gets a lot lot worse. (laughs) He feels really sick (laughs) afterwards. He gets on a plane. The only ticket he can get is out of there to Thailand. And he arrives in Thailand and my dad's like, been a monk in India. He's young too. He's like... 18, 19 years old at this time. And he's got a shaved head, robes, and my dad pulls up into Thailand and Bangkok, and all these 
Buddhist monks are there and they see him. They're like, yay! <laughs> and my dad's like, okay, yay! They pick him up and they take him into the temple and he starts living in this main temple in Bangkok and they start feeding him all these fruits and all this coconut water and water. And after about three months, all his symptoms go. And he's totally healed. By the way, I'm not recommending everybody. This is my dad's experience. But yeah, he got rid of all of his ailments and uh, after he started feeling really good, he was like, oh, man. He's like, can I meet the head guy here? Who's like the head monk? I want to meet the real deal. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one guy takes him up to the top of this huge temple. And it's like a penthouse. And they open up the double doors to the penthouse. And there's the head monk. And the monk is sitting at his table and eating a whole pig leg. And my dad's like, whoa. He was shocked. He's like, excuse me, I don't mean to judge or anything, but isn't Buddha's first teaching ahimsa and you're eating a pig leg? And the big, the head Buddhist monk puts down the pig leg and he starts laughing. He goes, ah, 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 this is Thailand. <laughs> That's all he said to my dad. <laughs> my dad's like, okay. So they close the doors and my dad looks at his guide and is like, okay, I know I said I wanted to meet the head guy, like who's the head honcho, but let me reiterate and change what I meant to say. What I want you to show me is who's like the most enlightened guy here? And the monk goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. So they walk down from the <laughs> penthouse and then they go down into the cellar underneath the temple and underneath the temple is all these monks who have dug holes in the walls and are sitting in these tiny little holes in the walls and deep in meditation. And my dad's like, what the heck? And then the guy who's showing him says, go down there. The last guy. So my dad walks down to the last guy, and there's this guy in this little hole. And my dad goes, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, um, but I would like to have a conversation with you. And the guy goes, oh, no problem, come on in. And my dad crawls in this little hole with the guy. And the guy starts to talk to him about his spiritual experiences, how he's left his body and he's come to the void, but then he realized through the void there's actually planets where God resides, and those that's our eternal home and all this crazy, wild spiritual stuff. My dad was just shocked. He's like, what the hell? He's like, the guy who's living in the penthouse who has the most recognition knows nothing. And the guy who probably no one even knows his name who's living literally in a hole in a wall is fully enlightened. <laughs> it's just like a total parody and something so psychedelic. You've got like a trash guy beeping out there. Um, anyway, so moving on. Let's talk about <laughs> something story. else. It's, it's a good story, right? It's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about um, handstands and arm balances. Was there a defining moment for you when it all just started to click? When I really committed to a home practice is when um, the breakthroughs with the, you can say, fancy arm balances, handstands, when they started to become a, a consistent part of my practice. Hmm. When I really committed to that home practice. Yeah. Yeah. So it was about consistency. Yeah, then. you got to practice, practice, practice. How many handstands do you do a day, or did you do a day to get there? You can say it. Oh, 999 <laughs> handstands Just all day. day. <laughs> <laughs> all day, every day, oh. handstands. Younger day. <laughs> it, really, it totally is that thing, though. It's like people always go, what's the trick? I'm it's like, a, well. Yeah. It's about I, consistent yeah. practice. And I like Dylan Warner was on this podcast before, and I like what he said. He's like, before you find form you just got to find balance 
you just got to do it and be able to start balancing, you know, just start yeah. doing it. Yeah. I agree with that philosophy. I think you just got to because everyone starts that way. And people go, well, how many should I do? I'm like, a minimum of 10 a day, every day, even when you're tired, even when your hands are yeah. sore, even when you're not feeling like it, you just got to do it. Yeah. You do that, you're going to start doing it real fast. Yeah. One day you'll just pop up and hold it. You're like, what? <laughs> what is all this? <laughs> Then you can start doing handstands over your dogs and your cats. <laughs> Walking around Los Angeles on your hands. Exactly. Well, do you have any uh, tips or things that you could share with some of our listen- listeners about how to practice handstands or arm balances or things they can do to progress themselves? Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> <laughs> Come to my class. <laughs> Come to his class every Monday, Wednesday, 4.30, and on the weekends as well. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the practicing, you know, I always think about different tips that I used to do when I was first playing with them. Is just, you know, you can start at a wall, but then also just learning how to properly set it up. And also things that create attribute development for handstands. You know, I always think if you don't have a strong core or even know the basics of yoga asana it's going to be relatively unaccessible to do the handstands for instance like all the basic postures give you the attributes to actually do handstands like in down dog externally rotating the arms if you don't even know what that is you're going to have your fingers turned in your elbows popped out yeah it's going to be bad yeah if you don't know how the neutral pelvis is you're going to always be dumping your low back letting your belly hammock to the floor and sticking your ass in the air and (laughs) all that stuff (laughs) and if you don't have that fundamentals you don't have that foundation it's gonna be like a man lost at sea yeah yeah the strength and the the effort of of the arm balances and handstands is definitely required it's like intrinsic to the nature of the poses but you can't underestimate the the technique and the the leverage and the mechanics and the the internal relationships of your body parts to to make it possible to make it click i think so i mean it's funny there's people who come to a class and they've literally never done yoga before and they go my goal is i want to start doing handstands and that's great to have that goal but there's so much work in between you know it's like even when you go into a pool and you never swam before and your your goal is to do you know, breath stroke or freestyle or whatever. There's so much stuff that just has to be there in order to just start swimming and being comfortable in the pool, you know, yeah. the fear and all these other things that you have to meet. So, you know, when people want to get really good at handstands, I think you got to start with learning how to do a plank really well, learning how to do Tadasana before anything, just standing on your feet, teaching you how to do handstands because handstand is just standing upside down, you know learning how to tilt the tailbone under, engage your bandhas, having core strength. Um, but even further down the road from even handstands and things and all the advanced postures, you know, I, I'm always uh, a full supporter of people who want to take the yoga practice deeper and out of just the physical, you know, moving towards spiritual stuff. You know, we all want to do handstands. They're all great. We all want to do arm balance. They're all fun. But in the reality of all that kind of stuff, all the fancy poses and everything, I always tell people, you know, you're not going to take a handstand with you when it's your time to leave the body. 
Yeah. You're going to take crow pose when you leave the body. So the physical practice only is going to take you that far. It makes you feel good, opens your body, clears your mind. But, you know, there's only so much you can take with you when you pass. It's, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a good friend. And we're walking down the street in Santa Monica. And he was like, oh, man, I need your help. I'm totally lost. I'm just lost. And at this time, my friend, he's got more money than he's ever had. He's got an awesome house, got the great car, a wonderful family, the whole thing. Materially, he's got it all made. He's got everything you could want. Everything. And he's like, I'm lost. I need help. What do I do? And I was telling him, I said, you know, you can spend a lifetime making so much money. You can spend a lifetime getting the perfect car, having the perfect relationship, having the kids. And you work so hard every hour every day to make these things happen. But every one of those things you can't take with you when you pass. All of that stuff is a rental. You spend all your life on a rental. Who would do that? Right? You can't spend your whole life on a rental. You go, who's going to go rent an apartment and start remodeling the whole thing for the owner? Right? Spending the whole life. It's crazy. You wouldn't want to do that. So you spend your whole life on a rental. What's the stuff that's really going to matter? And that's when the rest of the yoga practice really takes shape. And a lot of the times people are like, whoa, I don't know if I add all these other yoga things, these metaphysical and spiritual aspects to my life, there'll be real change. How are we going to receive there's real change? you got to give it at least one year of your life of solid dedication where you do it to the T and you follow it. And then you'll see real change because your consciousness changes, your ideas change. And the more spiritually wealthy you become, that's the stuff you're going to be able to take with you when you pass, your spiritual wealth. You know, even this body is a rental. You can't take this body with you when you pass. It's why it starts to get old and breaks down and falls apart. It's a rental. You know, it's like you talking about going to India and learning from these girls. That's a life lesson. That's a lesson you can take with you. Forgiveness understanding, healing. You know, you got to learn how to take all the stuff that's in yoga and apply it to your life. Even if you're living in a modern situation where our ideas are curbed by being spoiled as Westerners and having so much stuff, you got to apply the other aspects of spiritual wealth and spiritual life and incorporate it into your, into your existence so that we're not just wasting our time on a rental. You know, a wise spiritual teacher said, life is about simple living and high thinking, you know. So when it comes down to yoga and all that advanced stuff that's out there, you know, the most advanced thing that you could ever do is following yoga in its true essence, the heart of yoga. You know, people don't realize that only one sutra, one of the eight is asana. The rest are all about dietary habits, lifestyle, meditation, how we react and interact with other people. Seven of eight are all about the spiritual. Only one is the physical. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you operate. And if you can imagine the incredible benefits that we get just from the physical practice, I mean, it's, how many millions of people are practicing yoga now? It's crazy. It's crazy. In America, there's like 30 million alone. You know, and the, not to mention the world. And they're, they're doing it because obviously there's something to it. They're feeling something. They're like, oh my God, I feel incredible. I can touch my toe. I can twist. I can breathe. I haven't breathed in like five years. You know, I haven't taken a solid breath in. 
And then once you start to experience how good the physical is and that makes you feel that good, then the spiritual is going to fulfill that gap, that hole, that missing piece where people are like, oh, there's something more. I'm missing something. There's a missing piece in my life. What is it? I feel like I have it all, but I clearly don't because I'm empty. I'm sad. I'm depressed. You know? It's back to that saying we said earlier in this podcast, the Ananda Maya. We're, we're happy-seeking, pleasure-seeking, spiritual-seeking. Deep down on a visceral level, we're all spiritual-seeking. We just don't realize it yet. Because we're in a spiritual coma. <laughs> and the yoga, the real yoga, wakes us out of that spiritual coma. Um, so what uh, keeps you inspired to learn more or to practice more? My, my students really in, inspire me to, to continue to learn, to continue to grow so I can you know, off, offer them what I have, what I have learned. Um, so my, my students really inspire me. Yeah, I mean, you got to be that vessel, right? you got to be a proper guide, and a proper guide has always got a student mind. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. you got to. Forever a student. If, you always, if you're like, dude, i got to figure it out, drop the mic. It's yeah. done. <laughs> it's going to be a rough road for you and the students. <laughs> it's like when I, when I became a, a, a teacher, it was like, I became the best student at, like ever. Ever. Yeah. It's like I gotta I gotta get down <laughs> to this, this I became the best student when I became a teacher. Yeah. That's a good one. It's the truth though. Cause then you're like, holy shit, I'm responsible for taking care of some people. It's like when people are about to become a parent, you know, they may be a train wreck in their life and all of a sudden they're about to have kids and they're like get a job <laughs> get all their shit figured out <laughs> it's the same thing I'm gonna be a teacher oh my god I gotta take care of some people I gotta figure this out I'm gonna learn 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 study study yeah that's what it really is you know and it, that's also I think one of the interesting things about life is if we're always constantly thinking about ourselves we usually don't go anywhere because we're comfortable you know yeah. my dad my whole life used to always say tomorrow if you're comfortable, you're not progressing. If you're comfortable, you're not progressing. It's like rings in my head all the time. I'm like, I got to get uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Once I feel like I'm cruising, I'm like, <laughs> I'm in a bad place. Yeah. And uh, if you're thinking about yourself, you get that, you get very complacent. You just start floating around. But then once you start thinking about other people, that's when you start really taking the initiative and getting uncomfortable and changing and making huge leaps and bounds in your own life. You know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's true. Lose yourself in the service of others. That's where it's all at, you know, changing that sense of I, me, mine, like in that Beatles yeah. song, too. Let's take care of everybody else, yeah. you know. You step outside yourself, it all changes. Um, and you really do become the best in it. You really do become of service to the world. You know, it's like people don't realize it, too. They feel like, oh, if I take care of other people, I serve other people, that's just so lame. What do I get out? I don't, I mean, you're still in that mindset of it's just about you. But when you just truly, on a heartfelt level, try to take care of other people and you start stepping outside yourself, you're automatically rewarded. It's just how the world works. Yeah. You get totally rewarded. It's interesting. It's like when you're self-centered, you, all you think about is just getting ahead and all these different things. That's when you become the most empty. Like, God doesn't reward people when they're self-centered. But then as soon as you flip it and you start trying to help other people and you start serving and doing all these things, you all of a sudden feel happy. 
because then you're rewarded for not being self-centered yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way the work it works you know um do you have any tips or suggestions for our listeners on you know moving forward in their practice whether that be physical or whatever He's taking his time. He's like, well, I got to figure this one out for you guys. <laughs> oh, pulling that, that Eddie Beatley. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, if you're listening, it's a compliment. Yes. <laughs> well, if I could give um, just one tip, I would to move your practice forward, I would say to, to meditate every single day, even if it's just a, a minute or two minutes. You know, if five minutes is too long, then just start out with one minute and slowly build your way up to five minutes. Um, you know, because the the physical practice of yoga, you know, all those, those postures, Tamal was saying, that they have a shelf life, you know. Um, can't take those those postures with you um, and I just recommend you to to sit still to get silent to listen um, even if it's just for for a minute a minute a day to find that that spiritual wealth um, yeah and it's interesting because it's all about consistency there as well you know it's like we said hands in you gotta do minimum 10 a day every day same thing with spiritual life any spiritual practice is about consistency if you're not consistent you're only going to see so much. You're going to only experience so much. If you're really consistent and you start applying everything, yoga in its full spectrum, that's where you're going to see huge, huge leaps and bounds. That's where you're going to find all the progress. You're going to look at the world differently. You're going to feel the world differently. So consistency, and I think one of the keys to consistency is starting off with a minimum commitment, a small commitment. Like JJ was saying, a minute. One minute? I can do a minute. And I'm going to do it every day, though. Non-stop. And after six months, I'm going to commit to two minutes and two minutes every day and start building from there. Yeah. You got any final thoughts for everybody listening? Come get salty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get on your mat and get salty. Um, well, JJ, uh, can you share with them also where they can find you? You can tell them what your Insta is or if you have a website or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, you can find me at, at Yoga Salt throughout the week. I'm teaching a few regular classes there. I'm down at the Green Yogi in Manhattan Beach as well. Uh, my Instagram handle is namasj, and my website is namasjyoga.com. So. Nice. Well, as always, it's great hanging out with you, JJ. Thanks for having me, Tamal. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and namaste. Namaste. Namaste.